0: God bless you all. How many of you are alive in Jesus? Give me a shout and give me a wave right now. Whoa! You know, this morning when I woke up, um, I, you know, I looked at the, the mist outside and I said, Oh, I've never seen weather like that in Perth for a long, long time. And I thought, wow, will this kind of cloud the whole Sunday morning? And I turned to my wife and said, You know, what do you think? She says, that's the glory of God coming down. It's great that today we, we certainly have the, the wonderful presence of God. It's, it's just a wonderful, wonderful time just worshiping God. Did you think? Yeah. That was a wonderful worship. I just sense a tangible manifest presence of God this morning. And so let's give a big shout out and a big shout out for the worship team. <laughs> Praise God, amen and amen. And thank you, uh, Pastor Benny and, and Cecilia for their uh, kind of, kind of um, invitation to be back here in FCC. Uh, it just feels like home again. How many of you are ready for the word of God? Praise God. Amen. I want to start this morning by uh, telling you that that the message, my message this morning is entitled Four Lights at Work. And uh, Four Lights at Work is really about discipleship at work. It's about how we bring the gospel in and begin that whole process of, of engaging the workplace with the gospel and with the kingdom of God that's in our hearts. Let me start by telling you a story and that story of that of Tilly Smith. Tilly Smith was a 10-year-old UK girl who um, went with her family for a holiday in um, Mykol Beach in Thailand. That's for the Christmas holidays. And on Boxing Day, she was walking along the beach when suddenly she noticed that the tide had suddenly gone out and the sea was frothing. And she remembered that, you know, that summer, she had watched uh, in her geography class lesson uh, a black and white video footage of the 1946 tsunami that happened in Hawaii. And uh, it's exactly like that. The tide suddenly went out, and the sea was frothing. She turned to her dad as they were walking along the beach and said, there's a tsunami coming. And the dad had never heard of such a thing as a tsunami. And she said, you know, what's it all about? There's a tidal wave that's going to come and people are going to die. Oh, come on, said the dad, you know, you know, I saw it, dad. She said, I saw it in this on, on this movie that the teacher was showing us in the geography lesson. And the dad said, you know, come on. And at that point in time, she was getting hysterical and shouting to dad that people are going to die. The kids are going to die. Hundreds of people on the beach are going to die. Do something about it. And the dad was faced with a situation uh, of wanting to decide. Um, should you just bring this little girl back? She was only 10 years old. And just, you know, get her back into the hotel room, pipe her down so that she would, you know, calm down, or, you know, or do something about this? And he decided that probably it would be best to do something about it. But, you know, as a British man, the worst thing a British man could, would really hate to have to endure is embarrassment. They hate embarrassment. But he decided that. I'm going to do it just for my kid. So he went up to the uh, lifeguard and said to the lifeguard, my kid says there's a tsunami coming. And the lifeguard was Japanese. And he had heard of such a thing as a tsunami before. So he, he got a little bit panicky and he said, really? He says, a, my kid says, you know, the, way the tide's gone out. That tsunami's coming. And the lifeguard alerted the security detail and security took the lifeguard seriously and cleared people off the beach. They had to call people out of the waters and sound the alarm and the siren. And people, you know, they were grousing as they came out of the waters and they walked uh, towards the hotel. You know, security was just pushing everybody you know, back to the hotel. People were grumpy, people were upset. But when they got back to the hotel, they didn't have more than a few minutes to wait. The first of the three gigantic tidal waves came crashing onto the beach at Maikong and into the hotel. By that time, people were up at level one, two, and three, and they managed to escape the waves. Everything around the hotel was destroyed, but no life was lost. And that was a 2004 Boxing Day, uh, uh, 2001 Boxing Day tsunami that hit right across the whole of the South Asia region as well as Southeast Asia as a result of uh, a Submarine earthquake on the northern part of Sumatra. The whole surging tidal waves ripped right across the Indian Ocean, right across to Somalia, to India, to Sri Lanka, to Myanmar, and on the beaches of, of uh, Thailand, as well as the uh, northern part of Peninsula Malaysia. All over the world, people died. In fact, just under a quarter of a million people perished in that Boxing Day tsunami. And all the beaches of Thailand had casualties, except for one beach. And that was Maikong Beach in Thailand. And when people investigated as to why this beach had no casualties, no mortalities, they discovered it was due to a 10-year-old English girl by the name of Tilly Smith. And when the press got to her, eventually she was lauded and fated as a hero. She went around to various parts of the world to meet royalty and presidents. And she was given all kinds of certificates of bravery And BBC eventually got to her family and interviewed the family. And he asked the dad, you know, why is it that you're alerted this whole beach? Because, you know, you're acutely embarrassed. You will be acutely embarrassed if nothing happened. And this is what he said. I look at all the people on the beach and I decided regret is worse than embarrassment. Jesus said, you and I, we are the lights of the world. And one of the big areas where we actually choose not to shine or find it really difficult to shine as disciples of Jesus is in the workplace. Why do we let our shine, lights shine at work? Because deep down inside, we fear embarrassment, perhaps offense, perhaps that people will scorn us. And that's why, you know, we, we, we hold back. We may be very brave in the church on a Sunday morning. We may be really kind of, really kind of uh, lightened up in our spirits, you know, and we, we can shout the name of Jesus. But somehow, back in the workplace, when we get to work at 9 to 5, Monday to Fridays, we pipe down because we, we fear embarrassment. We fear people scorning us. We fear, we, we, we fear giving offense to people. Today, I want to talk about the four types of light. Discipleship. In the workplace, and I want to tell you about the workplace because the workplace it doesn't play by the rules of the church. The workplace isn't is, is not concerned whether you are you know a great worship leader or whether you can you can pray for two hours or whether you have a position in church or whether you know you are you are full of life in church and you know all the, all the songs and you know how to pray you know the Bible. The workplace is not interested in that. They play by a different set of rules. It's like this. It's like the church. It's like All of us on a Sunday morning, we are like all the aircraft personnel on the aircraft carrier. Like on Sunday. But the moment, but on a Monday to Friday, we fly out into the skies and we engage another world up there in the skies. Okay, the rules of engagement up in the skies are completely different from the rules of engagement on the aircraft carrier. So why do we come to the aircraft carrier on Sunday? To get inspired, to get informed, you know, to get instructed to be filled with God's Spirit, you know, to, be, to be gathered together in worship and celebration, to know who we are and what we are called to do and whose we are. And when we are fully equipped and inspired and filled with God's fire, what is it for on a Monday and Friday? Just to get goosebumps on a Sunday and then fade on a Monday to Friday? No, we fly off in the air on a Monday to Friday. For what? To engage the world on a Monday to Friday. Somebody say amen. amen. And therefore, we need to be Four types of lights at work. And Jesus said these words on Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. Let's read out this passage, okay? Really, really loud so that the, all of Williston will know the most happening place in this whole area is in FCC. Somebody say amen to that. Somebody say loud. loud. That's not loud now. Somebody say loud. loud. Let's read it together now. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When you read this passage, you'll find that Jesus actually is talking about four types of lights, four lights. Here, there's a lamp, there's a lampstand, there's a light that shines, and there's a light that's a city on a hill. There are four types of lights here. And the four lights are the lamp light, the lampstand light, the flood light, the light that shines, I call it a flood light. So the floodlight, so that all men may see your good works. It's a light that really shines so that everybody can see. And a city light. Okay. Now, what do these four lights represent in the workplace? I would tell you that for a Christian to be in the workplace, and incidentally, when I talk about the workplace, many people think it's just a nine-to-five job that you go on a Monday to Friday. No, actually the workplace applies across the board to every one of us, every one of us. The workplace is the place that's virtual, metaphorical, or actual, in which trade and services are exchanged, you know? Trade and services and goods are exchanged. And sometimes uh, it is exchanged for money, Sometimes it's exchanged for free if uh, uh, you're an NGO and you do community services. Sometimes you may be a retired person walking in your neighborhood and you meet people and you invite them to your your house for coffee. You are exchanging trade and you are exchanging services for free. But you have an influence in your neighborhood, which those of us who are going to work at 9 to 5, you may not have a chance to know the people in the neighborhood, but you have a chance. For if you're a student, you're in a workplace. If you're a retired person, you're in a workplace. If you're a homemaker, you're in a workplace. If you are working in the nine to five window, you are in the workplace. And Jesus says, wherever you are, once you step out of the church on a Sunday and you enter the world on a Monday to Friday, you are in the workplace. Somebody say, Amen. And you need to be one or two or three or four of these lights. And what does it mean? There are four essentials that must fill our lives in the workplace because the workplace plays by a different set of rules. If you want to influence the workplace, these are the four things for the kingdom of God. These are the four essentials we must have. And I, I draw parallels between what kind of light we are and these four essentials or four attributes and virtues we must have. What four lights are needed to bring God's kingdom into the workplace? Integrity, excellence, good works, and God's glory. Integrity, excellence, good works, and God's glory. Lamplight is integrity. Why do I say that? Because the workplace values integrity, and of course the kingdom of God, integrity is everything. Uh, but why do I call it the lamplight? Because integrity is, it just, just glows and fills a small area. It's not the light that just tells the whole world, hey man, I'm an honest guy. You don't go to your workplace and say, I'm the most honest person, I'm righteous, you know, I have integrity, you don't. You just get on with your work, day in, day out, and you're true to yourself. You're true to who you are, true to who God has made you to be. You're true to the Holy Spirit's witness in your heart. Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and put it under a basket. You see, integrity can be smothered very quickly. You know, if you're righteous and you're honest, people can just smother it very quickly. Because it's, it's, it's a small lamp, but it's a very powerful lamp light. It glows and fills a small area. Uh, just like the days some of us who are will know that in the days when electricity supply, say in Malaysia and other parts of the world, were, not so, were, not, were, not, were not, not so reliable, we had paraffin lamps, we had candles. Remember that? Today now we have pen torch lights. What is integrity? Integrity is a state of being undivided, the wholeness in our hearts. The conviction of who you are and whose you are—you belong to Jesus—and and that is seen in your life and work. Integrity starts in our hearts, because the Bible says Proverbs 4:23. Above all, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Everybody say, guard your heart. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So you go in with integrity. Okay? Reputation is what people think of you. Integrity is who you really are when nobody's watching. So integrity starts with small things like, for example, not taking our company's supplies back, like the pens and, you know, the pencils and all that, and the paper from, from our company and back to work, from, from work, back into our, our homes. Integrity is not, uh, you know, passing on salacious gossips about other people and backstabbing other people. Integrity is like, you can be trusted, you're honest in what you say, you do. Integrity is like in small things. It's in the small things. And then integrity can actually now begin to mushroom in some of the big things. And some people just have great reputation, but they don't have necessarily integrity. Um, The author of Sherlock Holmes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, at the beginning of the last century, once sent a telegram to 12 of the most prominent men in London. They were his friends, so he pranked them. He sent a telegram to all of them, all on the same day. And the telegram read... Flee at once, all is discovered. And within 24 hours, all these 12 prominent men left town. So obviously they had something to hide because reputation is what people think you are. Integrity is who you really are when nobody's watching. How do we glow? How do we begin to bring this by submitting ourselves to him? When you leave to go to work on a Monday morning, you submit yourselves to the Lord. Don't see yourselves as, you know, what has happened on a Sunday as something that, you know, you were filled up as a tank But what it's going to do on a Monday to Friday has nothing to do with what's happened on a Sunday. Bring God with you to work. Live under His Lordship. A continual choice to fear, that means to reverence and to worship God more than fear man. Keep a clear conscience, 1 Peter 3.16 says, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of your slander. So you bring God to work. But here's the point. Uh, data statistics has shown that about 87% of Christians in the United States leave God behind on a Monday morning. 87%. So you may have the most wonderful experience on a Sunday here. And suddenly, when you walk out of your front door to go to work, 87% have left God behind. Integrity starts when we bring God to work. Somebody say amen. Amen. And how, how powerful is integrity? You know, what causes the sun to continue to burn day in, day out, day in, day out, and just continue to burn? Well, it's the integrity of the process that goes on right at the center of the sun. Thermonuclear fusion takes place. That's where the elements like carbon and oxygen are, 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 you know, are, are produced you know, as a result of fusion, thermonuclear fusion from helium and hydrogen and so on. You know, the surface of the sun is about 5,700 Celsius. The interior of the sun is 15 million Celsius. Somebody say, wow. Here's a point I'm trying to say. It's not about heat. It's about the fact that the sun is gonna go on burning for another eight billion years. So there's still time to sell your BHP shares and your Telstra shares. Okay. Another eight billion years. It's gonna integrity last. It's there, it has staying power. And when people know that you're a person of integrity, they're staying power in the company. And people trust you. You know, how how important is this small light called integrity? Well, have you ever been to a cave? I've been to dark caves before, like Mulu Caves in, in Sarawak. You walk in, it's completely pitch black. You can't even see your hand. And think about the 12 boys caught up in a uh, yeah, the cave that were lost in a cave in Thailand in 2018 with a soccer coach. Remember that? 13 days they were lost and the whole world was wondering what's happened to them. Pitch black, utter darkness. The more it rained, the worse it became, the further deeper into the caves they went. Until on the 13th day, a light just popped up out of the water and a British driver found them. Hello, he said. Are you guys okay? And that, Integrity, that small light, it's like heaven in the midst of everything that's out there, that's dark. And Jesus says, let your lamp shine. But there are people who, who don't like the light. You know, it reminds me of the story of a hermit. Uh, he was living in a cave and one night he was hungry so he decided to, to eat some dates. Um, so he lit the candle and he, he, he had a bowl of dates and he was really hungry. So he picked up the first date and there were worms in it. So he threw it away. He picked up a second date. There were still worms in the second date, so he threw it away. He picked up a third date. It was still infested with worms. Then he thought to himself, if I'm going to go on like that, I'll be hungry. So he blew out the candle and ate up all the dates. <laughs> so, so there are people who hate the light, you know? Now, let me tell you about, in Malaysia, sometimes integrity issues become major. I had one of my pastors who is also a bivocational pastor, and she... she um, she, works, she has her own company that provides medical supplies to big hospitals in Malaysia. And one day, one of her tenders was exposed before the, the, you know, before the board met. And she found out that her tender price uh, was known to the other competitors. And it was probably the man who was responsible for receiving all the tenders somehow had opened up her tender and made it known to the other competitors. And so she was at a great disadvantage. And I said, you need to report this. He said, Pastor, it's not that easy. I do not know whether the whole system is corrupt. Because if the person who is the head of the tender board actually is in cahoots with, a, you know, with the whole system as well, with the guy who received the tender, then I will be blacklisted if I made a uh, um, uh, complaint. They will find all kinds of reasons to exclude me from future tenders. And it would just it will devastate my company. Well, let's pray about that, I said. And after prayer, we decided to confront. So I said, just go and make an appointment, see the head, see the head of the, uh, the medical services and decide, you know, and, and just confront, and just tell the truth, have integrity. And so she made the appointment, went, saw the head. And as she walked in, she found that it was her friend. She didn't know, but it was a friend they had not seen for 10 years. Her good friend, who was now the head of that of, of the whole board, and they then braced and they began to share and she began to expose what happened. And of course, that head was not part of this whole thing, and eventually cancelled the whole tender exercise and called a new tender, and then removed the guy who was receiving the tender. And eventually, she won the tender fair and square, worth millions and millions of dollars. So it can start with small things, it can go on to big things. Billy Graham said, when wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. When integrity or character is lost, all is lost. Here's the second light. The first is lamp light. The second is lampstand light. Jesus said, instead a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. That's lampstand. You may have a small candle, but the moment you hoist it up high and you put it on a lampstand, the, the room brightens up. It brightens up. Whereas if it's just a small candle is on a table, it's just your corner, particular corner only. It brightens up and everyone else in your department and your place of work sees it. Now, this whole thing about the four lights is very much a workplace context because the verses before this talks about being salt and light. In the workplace and in the world. Somebody say amen. So I'm not just throwing out you know, four lights, you know, and I'm applying it to workplace. It's actually articulated and taught by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount as part and parcel of a workplace context. How we are to shine in our places of work and in the world. And especially our places of work. Why? Because we all spend about one-third of our life at the workplace. And if we don't shine there, we're wasting one-third of our lives in the workplace. So at lamp level, we glow. But at lampstand level, we brighten the place. What is lampstand? Lampstand level is excellence. It's high competency in work. As I said, the workplace is not concerned. It's not concerned whether you, you're a great worship leader or you can pray or you know, you know lots of Christian leaders. they're not concerned about that. They want to see the quality of your work. And when you have good quality of work, they take note. If you have integrity and you have excellence, the workplace takes note. You now have a platform. You now have influence to speak into the workplace. So the second bit of light is the lampstand light. And whatever you do, um, Colossians three twenty three, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. That's what the scripture tells us. We must have excellence. Do you see a man who excels in his works? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. I always remember the story of a, 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 um, a Penang man who went to the UK, totally broke. He was just good at making shoes. But he was so good at making shoes that one day Princess Diana came and said, can you make me a pair of shoes? And from that point onwards, he became the private shoemaker, royal shoemaker, Princess Diana. And his... Overnight, he became famous. He stood before kings. Jimmy Choo was his name. And eventually, the whole world knows this brand, Jimmy Choo. Excellence means two things high competency and reliability. You've got to have both. Uh, we must have excellence, why, in our work? When I say excellence, I don't mean that you've got to be the top dog in the whole of the, the show. You've got to be the top of the top, and if you don't have to be the top in the top, you have no witness, you have no testimony. No, no. I mean, you need to be the best that you can be. Can somebody say amen? The best that you can be. High competency and reliability, we must have excellence, because work is our worship. Everybody say after me, my work. Say after me loud, say My work. It's my worship to God. Why is that? Because the word work and the word worship are the same word, it's the same word in Hebrew. It's the word avodah. Exodus 20 verse 9 says, Six days shall you work or labour. It's avodah. On the seventh you shall rest. Exodus 7, 16, when Moses came before Pharaoh, he said, let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. It's Evodah. Same word. Worship and work. So our work must be our worship. So we go to give our best that we can at work and excel because it's part of pastoral worship. How do you grow competency? By intentionality and perseverance. What do you mean by intentionality? How do you, how do you become good in your work? Firstly, by watching how the best do it at work. Just watch how the best do it. Don't be too proud. Be humble. And watch how the best do it. Ask them how they do it. Learn from them. Read up on what you need to read up around the subject matter or your job specs. Then do it and learn from your mistakes. Do it and learn from your mistakes. And when you make mistakes, ask how the best do it and what you can learn from them. And repeat. Somebody say repeat. Repeat this process and eventually you will be excellent. That's how we all become good in our workplace. You must have the perseverance to repeat. How many of you uh, love dogs? Can I see your hands? Wave it in the air. Okay, talk to me. How many of you love dogs? Wave it in the air. Wave it in the air. How many of you think bulldogs are pretty dogs? Can I see your hands? I think bulldogs are really good-looking dogs. you know? Um, you know, bulldogs, they really mean business. So when I talk about perseverance, I'm talking about bulldoggedness. You know why the bulldog is so, so effective in being bulldogged and not letting go? It's because it's got a flat face and it's got wide, flat nostrils and it's got this huge jaw surface area. And so when it chomp on something, it doesn't have to let go got this massive surface area holding onto it. And secondly, it's got just wide, flat nostrils. It can continue to breathe. <laughs> but if you think of an Afghan hound with just pointed nose and pointed snout, you know, when he trumps on something, his hair gets in the way and he's got this small surface area, he's got to give up. So you've got to be a bulldog in being excellent. Somebody say, amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, be a bulldog. I didn't say look like a bulldog. I said, be a bulldog, okay. Be a bulldog. I once visited a friend of mine, and I, I, you know, I, was, I, I, I was outside the gate in Malaysia. All Most houses are fenced up, and I was outside the gate, and his bulldog was snarling at me and barking at me from behind the gate. And my friend was standing at the door. He wouldn't come to the gate. He said, just come in, come in. And the gate's not locked, just come in. I said, your dog. He said, no, don't worry this dog doesn't bite. I said, it looks so, it's really fierce, he's snarling at me. You know the saying, he said, barking dogs don't bite. I said, you know the saying, and I know the saying, but does your dog know the saying? <laughs> Daniel chapter 6, verse 3 tells us, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit, somebody say, excellent spirit, was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole of the kingdom. So how do you grow reliability? How do you grow reliability? So perseverance, making mistakes, and doing it again and again helps you to grow competency. How do you grow reliability? The ability to be counted on. No matter how long or hard it takes, the job will be done and done well. It's under-promising but over-delivering. In the workplace, most people over promise, but they under-deliver. You must have the habit of underpromising, I'll do my best. I can't. I can't be absolutely sure. But you want that on deadline? I will do my best. I will do my best. I'll get it on deadline for you. But you, you just kind of underpromise. But when the deadline comes, you've done it two days ahead of deadline, and it's more than what the person asked for. You've underpromised, but you've overdelivered. See, integrity and excellence are the laws by which a workplace charts. They give you influence for God's kingdom, promotion, you know, for yourself. Profits for the company, influence on people, and a platform to proclaim the gospel. So these, these are the two lights. But there are two other lights we must have as God's kingdom carriers in the workplace if we are to shine and make the difference. The third one is a floodlight. Floodlight. Floodlight is good works. Jesus says it's good works. It's a good work God leads you into. In the workplace. You see, if you do good works, but you don't have excellence or reliability or integrity, nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody cares about your good works. But if you have good work because at the same time you have integrity and you have excellence in your work and you have reliability, then there's a platform. Jesus said, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Somebody say good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What is the mark of a floodlight? Good works. There are two types of good works. Firstly, there are works of love, justice, and generosity. How do you know when to do these good works? Well, you should be doing them, you know, low key, under the radar screen, in kindness, uh, you know, in, 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 in concerns. But there will be special people. God will tell you to 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 talk to, to begin to show kindness, to begin to show generosity. 1 Timothy 6 verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. 2 Corinthians 9 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you may abound in every good work. So the first kind of good work is all about kindness, generosity, concern, compassion. There are good works we do in our places of work. We show concerns to people. Okay? And, and some of this is, is very startling because we, the, the, the world tells us don't show good works and kindness and concerns because it's weakness. You show too much of that, people might step on you and use you as a doormat. So you'd be tough in the workplace. And if you show a little bit of concern, just, just draw the limits. But one day the Holy Spirit will tell you to go the extra mile. You have a good friend, you have lunch with all, you know, frequently at work. They're the same kind of office as you and, and your friend is Mandy and you just sit down and have lunch with Mandy one day and they're good friends, you know, they're good friends. And um, Mandy looks a little bit down and asking, you ask him, Mandy, why are you down? And she says, oh, I was something in the family, nothing very much. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit tells you. Can the Holy Spirit tell you things at work? Yes or no? It's very quiet. Yes or no? You sure? And you say, Mandy, is your mother? I said, how did you know? Of course, you don't say. The Holy Spirit told me. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I, I thought it might be your mother. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She had a bad diagnosis from a doctor. You know. I'm anyway. I know you go to church. You know, because your light has been shining already. I know you go to church, and you know, I. I don't believe in all this stuff, but, you know, uh, when you go there, you know, can you light a candle for my mom, or say something to your, to, to the your man up there? You know, with the God you worship. Uh, for my mom, Sure, Mandy, I, I could do that, of course, but would you mind if I pray for your mum now? <gasps> now? We're in, a, we're in a restaurant, for goodness sake. But it's okay. I, I can pray for your mom. I don't know how to pray. I, I, I'm not sure of these things. Uh, you don't have to pray, Mandy. I'll pray for you. Pray for your mom. Okay. Be quick. Okay. Can I keep my eyes open? Sure. Yes. You pray for the mum. And when you finish, there's tears coming down. Her eyes, you show an extra kindness, extra compassion, you go on the extra step, because you've actually followed the Holy Spirit, and this is an open door, because you followed the Holy Spirit. Reminds me of a story of uh, uh, the late Tim Keller, when he was uh, still pastoring at Redeemer in New York, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, uh, he was standing at the door one day and greeting the people at the end of the service, and one day, uh, you know, and one morning, he, he noticed a woman he'd never seen before. He says, are you new here? She said, yes. Oh. She said, how do you know about Redeemer? He said, you don't want to know. It's a long story. He said, no. I've got a few minutes. But tell me the story. Just keep it short, but tell me the story. Our said, you know, well, I just came to New York recently. I just took up this job in this big television network. I've uh, been working in the television network industry for many years. But I got promoted and, uh, you know, I, I got this big break and I came to New York. And in the first week, I fouled up so badly that it was a sackable offence. I made such a big mistake. But my boss went into the the board and took the bullet for me. And he pleaded with the board that, you know, you know, I was worth giving a second chance. I know, he says, I've been in this industry before. You get sacked for offenses like that. So when my boss came out, I asked him, well, why did you do that? He said, no, I, I just believe, you know, you know, everybody's a second chance and, you know, I, I like to give second chance, but no, he says, why did you do that? No, he says, you know, because you're in my department and, you know, I, I, I'm fair to everyone. He says, no, no, why did you do it? Well, he said, you really want to know because I am a person who's been given a second chance. I followed up my life in the past, but Jesus met me and changed my life. And from that day onwards, I knew that God will use me, God, God has touched my life so much. That's why, if you want to know, I stepped in and, and asked for a second chance and pleaded for you. She turned and looked at him and said, which church do you go to? And she turned and told Tim Keller, that's why I'm here today. So good works begins in this simple way. Sometimes it's more than, it's just that. The other part of good works, Jesus talks about, is good works as the result of the power and miracles of God. Acts 10 verse 38 tells us how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Hey, bring the Holy Spirit to work when you go. He will give you wisdom. He will give you discernment. He will give insights. He will give you protection. He will give you the anointing for the miraculous. Somebody say amen. He will give that to you. And Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, He could not do any good works and healed all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him." You know, so we equip that the whole reason for you to come to church on a Sunday is so that you'll be empowered, equipped, anointed. Somebody say amen. amen. Why? Just to have good bumps on a Sunday? No, to bring the power of God out into the workplace on a Sunday. Somebody say amen. amen. And I remember, you know, in my bank, uh, in, in, in my church, there were quite a, a couple of bankers. One of them was actually my elder. And uh, he was a banker, a very successful bank. He was a very successful banker, probably the top performer in the country, in the country, not just in KK, but in the country. And uh, and you know, he hung around with a lot of top performing bankers in other banks. And they met up sometimes for you know for lunch and so on. And there was another top performing banker who was actually not a Christian, and uh, disdained and despised Christians. But one day he found, this elder banker found, found him at a mall and had just come up on a physiotherapy um, for, for a bad, stiff neck problem. And he asked him, what are you doing here? He says, well, you know, I've got this problem in my neck for the last three months. I have come to physiotherapy three times a week and is it, how's it? Just, nothing seems to heal it. But he knows, you see, this, this banker elder, he knows that one of the reasons why you come to church on a Sunday is not so that we just have goosebumps and have a great time, but God anoints us and equips us and empowers us. So despite his embarrassment and his fears, he said, would you mind if I pray for you in a shopping mall? The, the guy said, well, you believe in all that? Sure, I don't mind, you know, you want, what's there to lose? So in a shopping mall, two bankers, one a believer, the other not. Just the believer laid hands and said, you know, Pray for, pray for the, the neck to be healed. And after that, they said goodbye and parted. And I asked my elder banker, what do you feel like? He said, I felt like I wanted a pit to open up to swallow me. I, I, I just thought nothing was going to happen. I made a fool of myself. I really felt, and for the next week, I just tried to avoid this guy, I never walk near his bank. And then one day he was walking in the city, in the CBD and he heard a voice. And he knew it was this guy. The pizza patter of feet behind, chasing after him. He says, now it is. And now he's going to mock me. Now he's going to tell me how, what, you know, what a laughable thing I had done. And the guy came up to him. and said, hey, you remember last week you prayed for me? It's gone. That day, it went, it's gone, the pain gone. And I've not had to go to physios anymore. And this friend of mine turned around, this banker, this banker elder turned around, and he was like, wow, praise God. Um, oh, would you, like to, um, would, you like, would you like to come to an alpha workplace meeting? You're like, what's that? Oh, there's food there. Oh, whatever you say, if someone says food and you, you know, uh, you're a good guy, so I'll come. And that's how he came to know the Lord from the Alpha in the workplace meetings. And that person, and then eventually one banker led to another, another. At one stage in Skyline, we had a whole second row full of bankers. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing, right? Yeah. Praise God, you want to give God a hand? Give him a big hand, hallelujah. Praise God. See, at lamplight level, we glow. At lampstand level, We brighten, But at floodlight level, we begin to shine. Somebody say shine. And now Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are city, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. What's city light? City light is visible in the city. When Christians begin to light up all over the city of Perth, there's a light on a hill, the lights on a hill. People begin to see something is happening. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Which city was Jesus referring to? Now, just listen to me for a minute. Jesus was teaching this in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Where was this taking place? This was taking place in Galilee. And this was taking place in Galilee because he had not gone down to Jerusalem yet. So today, if you go to Israel and you go to, they will show you where the, the, uh, the, you know, the Sermon on the Mount was preached, roughly, it was in Galilee. And in, where, was there any city? Because Galilee was very rural in those days. What city was he talking about? The only city that ever existed in Jesus' time in Galilee when he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount was Tiberius. Tiberius was founded by Herod the Great in 20 AD for Tiberius Caesar. And so if you go into, if you sail out into the boat in the Sea of Galilee at night, in the rural area of Galilee before Tiberius, and if the clouds covered the sky and couldn't see the stars, you were totally lost. You wouldn't know where you were. But once Tiberius was built, you orientate your direction because you knew where Tiberius was. Even today, if you go to Galilee and you go on to the sea, you'll see Tiberius at night. You will see, and you know exactly where North south, east and West is. You know exactly. Jesus said, I Want you to be like that. Because Tiberius is built on a hill, up down to the slopes, down to the, the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee. I want you to be like that. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Which is your favourite city lights at night? Is it Perth? I love the South Bank of Perth, okay? South Perth then, looking at, from the shore to the whole of the city skyline. It's one of the most beautiful sights in the world. Mine happens to be in London. London. I spent many years in London, so every time the plane comes in to land at Heathrow at night and I peer down, whew, I fall in love with London all over again. just happened to be my thing. But there are lots of cities that are built on a hill. And your planes ever approach these cities and you look down they're phenomenal. Jerusalem, Rome, Edinburgh, Istanbul, Amman, Brussels, Lisbon, Moscow, Prague, all built on a hill. What is the mark of the city lights on a hill? Cannot be ignored. There's a powerful, transforming influence and remind, reminder in the city. Somebody say, Amen. If we were all to shine on a Monday to Friday here, when we leave this place on a Monday, on, on, on Sunday, we're gonna shine on Monday to Friday. If other churches, the whole round of Perth, did that and they, they understand. They, underst- they understood this whole teaching. They understood this whole truth that we are to bring God into the workplace and it began to shine as lamplight, as lampstand light, as floodlights, wherever. And Monday morning onwards, when we all go to work, it's not just a few hundred people, it's thousands upon thousands of Christians going to work 10, 20, 30, 40,000. And suddenly, Perth lights up. It becomes like a city on a hill. You cannot ignore it. It carries a powerful, transforming presence and reminder in the city. Somebody say an amen. Okay, at lamplight we glow. At lampstand light we brighten. At flood light level, we shine. But at city lights level, his glory radiates throughout the city. Somebody say an amen. Praise God. you know? Uh if you want to give God a hand, just give him a big hand, amen. Okay. Uh, I've written a book called The Invasive Kingdom. On the workplace. If you find that this uh, this is the book that I wrote um, during uh, in the last year or, or two, it's all about Christians being in the workplace. It applies to you even if you're a student, even if you're a homemaker, even if you are retired, it applies to you. And how do you shine for God? In the workplace, the invasive kingdom. Why do I call it invasive kingdom? When you go to work on a Monday, the kingdom of God has invaded the workplace. Somebody say amen. It has invaded the workplace. See how do you bring the kingdom of God to work? You go in there. You go into your office. You may be the only believer. The kingdom of God has come to the workplace. Somebody <laughs> say amen to that. And if you and there's a, another book on prayer called Call of Issachar because one of prayer is one of the most powerful things God uses us for in the workplace. And there are one or two other copies of, uh, uh, you know, short kind of things I've written called vignettes. Um called Slingshots there's another book called Slingshots if you find that these books are useful you can pick it up right now I'm going to close all heads or eyes close right now Father I just thank you that you've spoken to us about what it means to serve you in the workplace and today I pray that your God your, your word will go out in spirit and in truth it'll convict our hearts in whatever situation we find ourselves, whether we're students, whether we're retirees, whether we are homemakers, or whether we are out in a 9-to-5 window Monday to Friday, I pray in the name of Jesus, whether we're working from home, that Lord, we will carry your kingdom into the workplace, and that we will be the lights that shine for you in the workplace, because we believe that this city needs to be touched with the gospel of Jesus. This city needs to be touched with the love of God and the light of God. And we are the lights. And we believe that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So we bless this city and all that you've called us to be. And we glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to just uh, minister just one more minute, uh, a couple of more minutes before I, before I close. Can I just ask all heads bowed, all eyes closed right now. You know, you've heard me say about this whole city in work. And it is true, because the light that God gives us is a light that cannot be smothered by darkness. It is when we open our hearts to Jesus. If today you've never opened your heart to Jesus before, today, you've come here, I will say one thing to you, not come by accident or coincidence, God has brought you here. Why? Because He loves you. It doesn't matter what it is that's clouding your life and your heart right now. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the one who will open your heart to His light of love and the light of forgiveness serve so today to my right to my life right now in front of me as well if you say Pastor Philip I want to receive Jesus into my heart yeah, and you've never done that before then at the count of three will you just raise up your hands and if you do that I will identify that hand and we will pray for everyone who raises up their hand who wants Jesus to come into their heart are you ready right now? if you say Pastor Philip pray for me I want to invite Jesus into my heart I want God's light to shine in my heart then lift up your hand right now one, two, three just lift it up right now is anyone here? You want to give your heart to Jesus? I see a man over there. I see somebody over there. If you lift up your hand, please look at me. I'll acknowledge that hand. Please look up at me. God bless you. Thank you, sister, for that. Anyone here? If I don't see your hand, please wave it. Please wave it. I see your hand. Is there anyone here? I see two hands over here. God bless you. God bless you. The power of God comes into your life. The love of God comes into your life. Anyone else here? God can cause a miracle. I see a hand over there, brother. Thank you so much. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Can I just say a simple prayer now? If you put up your hand, will you say this prayer with me? And the whole of FCC will join you aloud so that they can encourage you. Say, Father God. Say it loud. Say, Father God. Thank you for Jesus. Today I open my heart. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord, my Savior, my Master. Today, I ask your light to shine in me. Your light of forgiveness. Your light of purpose. The light of your love. Fill me with your presence. I I thank you that I'm born again into a new life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, come on! Let's give them a big hand for all those four who received the Lord this morning. Hallelujah! If you received the Lord this morning, please come out at the end of the service. Maybe greet me because I'm going to introduce you. Some people who can give some resources to grow your new life in Christ. Now, can all of us, if you want to be a light in your place of work or wherever you are, can you just stand up on your feet right now? I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing for every one of us. Can you pray this prayer with me right now so that we affirm in our hearts what we've heard, so that we will go out to be a light. Everybody say after me and say it aloud. Say, Lord Jesus. Say it loud, guys. Say, Lord Jesus. Say it loud, guys. Say, Lord Jesus. We believe that You have called me have to, be my, to, be to be the light in the workplace. Work Wherever, Wherever I go, I'll bring the kingdom of God I'll bring the in the, in the workplace. Lord, Lord light, up life, light up my life that I may be a lamplight. Lamp help, help me to shine that I might brighten my workspace my as a lampstand light. A lamp stand light. Help, me shine, help me to shine for Your, glory, for your glory to be a floodlight. To flood and, and, and together with my brothers and sisters and the church in Perth, church in Perth we believe, we believe We will be a city on a hill for your glory. glory. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless you all. Amen.